Hi, I'm Carrie Butler, and you're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I have a special offer for my listeners. You can get my new course at carriebutlercoach.com slash broadwaypodcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Once I played a penny who just couldn't stop the beat. Yes, with roller skates on her feet. Of course, it's recently to see. To Breaking Broadway. Today's guest is a Broadway legend. She's celebrating her 50th anniversary on Broadway. For 50 years ago, she was in Cyrano on Broadway. She's done 10 Broadway shows, four Tony nominations, tons of television, tons of film. Most recently, Pippin. And I just saw Tova Felchu in Funny Girl, and you were amazing. I Loved the show so much. I loved your performance. I thought you were, you just found, you worked every second on that stage. You, I, I was laughing so hard. Congratulations on an amazing performance. Thank you. I'm very honored to have been asked to play the role. And it's also an historic moment. It's not only my 50th year on Broadway, but I'm the first actress of the Jewish faith play this role on Broadway. Wow, on Broadway. I didn't know that. Yeah, because they usually turn to the Irish Catholics, who are great <laughs> people and great actresses. They just don't happen to be Hebrews. So whatever, yeah. whoever got the brainy idea to go, oh, maybe we should cast a person who happens to be born into this religion. So Wow. Well, well, I'm glad I'm glad they finally did it because, yeah, you really under I felt like you really understood the role and just brought so much to it. Thank you. Um, so on our show, we usually like to talk about your journey to becoming an actress. Like, did you grow up wanting to be on Broadway? I was born on Manhattan's east side, 90th and Lexington. Uh, my parents came home from a wedding, December mm -hmm. 26th. My mother had cramps. She said it was from the stuffed derma. It wasn't. My father said, why don't we go to the hospital? And I was born two hours later at 2 a.m. on December 27th 
in an undefined decade. And in all <laughs> events, uh, I was brought up in Scarsdale, New York, and my uh, upbringing would not have led me to the theater, though my parents were very cultured. I was given my first subscription to the Metropolitan Opera when I was 11 and 12 years old. Wow. I remember, I remember how much it cost and, and it was in the old opera house. I was taken to Leonard Bernstein's Young People's Concerts. And of course, I was taken to Broadway for my brother's birthday. I saw my first show, which was Damn Yankees with Gwen Burden. Oh, wow. And, and we, were, we were in the mezzanine or the balcony and I was just enthralled with it. My father was a lawyer, a graduate of Harvard Law School. And I adored my father. And actually, as we are recording this on May 11th, my father died on May 11th, 1996. And I consider this a magical day. I woke up oh. this morning and a bird tried to get in my window here on Central Park West. The window was slightly open and he kept going. Ooh, 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 ooh. And that has never happened to me in my whole life. But I feel on the anniversary of my father's death, who knows who sent that little messenger to me? Uh, many religions have oh that tradition. Most, most notably, the the bird that came to uh, to Mary about um, mm. the Annunciation. In all events, my father was a Harvard lawyer, and I applied to Harvard Law School and made the wait list. At the same no time, way! I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have had I been accepted. I would have I would have been an attorney. I would have been a litigator. So that I got a break on Law and Order and they kept me for 13 years was no accident. I started in- a, I was going to say, yeah, you knew what you were talking about. I knew what I was talking about because I had been in the court watching my father, including the Supreme Court. So when I played uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg right before the pandemic for a premiere of a new play by Jonathan Shapiro at the Wallenberg Center in Los Angeles, um, I had been brought up around that kind of erudition. And at the same time, my brilliant brother, a graduate of Dartmouth, had won a scholarship to Lambda and then won the McKnight Fellowship to go to the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis, where they paid for his master's. He'd eventually get a Ph.D. as well. And he became a journeyman in, the, in that company at the Guthrie under Michael Langham. <clears throat> she had, he had taken over from Tony Guthrie. And the best, the best of, 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 of Canada was there. Len Carrier was there. Carol Shelley came down. Uh, Roberta Maxwell, these great, they brought these great actors from Stratford um, in, uh, in, in Canada. In all events, David said to me, why don't you apply to the McKnight Fellowship at the same time you're applying to Harvard Law School? I said, that's such a wacky idea. He said, just do it. You never know. You love to, you love to act, which I did. I love to act. Um, uh, but when I asked my mother, I said, I'd like to go to Juilliard. My mother said, you're not going to a trade school. She, <laughs> she had a Bronx accent. and. Uh, so I, I tried to follow my father's path. And there is there are many things about my upbringing that were not at all bohemian, but quite bourgeois. And that which was considered boring in my 20s has now borne out a 47-year alliance with my husband, 46 years married, and we knew each other a year before we married. So all those um, traits that were considered uh, non-wacky, uh, non-artistic, uh, down the middle line have served me very well in life. So for everybody who's out there who still believes in marriage and bringing up children under the umbrella of a lifelong commitment, I say I give you a standing ovation. Uh, my Being married is one of the hardest things I do, much more difficult than doing Juliet or even Isabella in Measure for Measure, both of whom I've played. Anyway, 
So I didn't get into Harvard. I was waitlisted. And I won the McKnight Fellow five years after my brother won it. And my brother and was you now, hadn't even really studied as an actor at this point? I, what had happened, I was accepted to Vassar Smith and Sarah Lawrence. And my mother said, I wanted to go to Vassar. And I would have known Merrill had I gone. Oh. My mother said, who's going to teach acting up in Poughkeepsie? <laughs> it's just, it's, it's up the Taconic Parkway. You shouldn't go. It's so isolated. Go to Sarah Lawrence. You're so creative. I had written a senior class play, so I was interested in acting. Oh. But I, I was a very strong student. And I, the values in my family were that you, were, you had to be erudite. You had to be educated. I speak five languages. I, my parents were my- very, very, my children went to Harvard and MIT were very um, intellectually uh, devoted, devoted. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the sense that education is considered a tool for freedom and for yeah. a for a worldview. Mm-hmm. So I won this scholarship. By then, David was going to become the youngest associate artistic director of a major a repertory company. He was in his mid-20s. I was a little kid. I was 21. And I went out there and I held spears and understudied all the size seven leading ladies. Before the Waxwell. <laughs> And Diane Weiss, these were leading ladies. They, she was a wisp of a thing. I spent two years. I never went on for any any role oh. for any other. What happened is that they were, I sang and I danced. I loved singing and dancing. I did it at Sarah Lawrence. And I continued to study tap with Helen Butleroff, the Helen Butleroff of, of the Rockettes, who was training the Rockettes in those years that, that I would come in. I did exactly what my mother said. I commuted into New York to study tap. And I got, I auditioned and got Uta Hagen herself as my acting wow. teacher. And I would come in every Wednesday mm. and study with Uta Hagen. And that was a life changer. I worked with Martha Schlama, who was then working with Alvin Epstein at the time. Sure. They were already legends from Yale. As she was my first basic acting teacher, she, she and her common sense and her grace and her supportiveness of her students has never left my cellular memory. Never. Um, uh, I'll never forget the way she guided us. Because when she would see work that was probably not so good, she would never say, this is not good. She would say, that's interesting. Why don't we try it Mm. this way? So when I coach Mm. soccer, I coach soccer for the city of New York for five years because my (laughs) daughter, I took her to the soccer field. She was five. They had no coaches. And she said, mommy, mommy, please, please. And I coached soccer. So before the matinee of like, you know, lend me a 10 or whatever, I was on the soccer field. But oh I remember gosh. they would say to me, because they were five years old, I think we were the purple Barbies that year or the 40 <laughs> carrot. And they'd say, coach, coach, I, 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 I hit the ball with my elbow and it went in the goal. And I knew to say, that's interesting. <laughs> I, I have an idea. Why don't we try it with your feet? Let's try it with your feet. I got a new idea. Let's try. And then, and that's how I would re-guide them. So. I graduated from Sarah Lawrence. I won the McKnight Fellowship. I sang and danced at the Guthrie, which for, was for them like being a circus performer or mm-hmm. somebody you know who should be in commercials and should not be on a classical stage. <laughs> and then Cyrano was divined as a musical starring Christopher Plummer. And I could sing and dance. And though I had no major roles at the Guthrie, they wanted to let me go. They were not going to promote me. I was never going to become a leading mm-hmm. lady there. Michael Langham was not uh, a fan of my work. He said, you'll never be an actor. You'll only be a, 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 perform- a performer. So the only parts I had is when we were trying to raise money, I would 
sing stuff uh, like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and do my tap dancing in long gowns. And at that time I was, I was, you know, I was a pretty, I was a pretty, very pretty girl and with thick, thick, long hair. In all events, Michelle Shea, I, whom I love, vacated the role of the food seller. That's 14 lines in a red dress in the musical of Cyrano. Because she got a job in New York. I believe it was with then what was called the Negro Ensemble Company that would go to Broadway. And she said, bye bye. I'm out of here. And they said, oh, God, give food seller to Felchu, the little Felchu girl. We can get her out of the company with some honor because <laughs> we want to we want to keep Doctor we want to keep David Felchu. So get rid of her. So I had fourteen lines in a red dress, and the uh, Michael Langham was directing. And one day Michael Langham did not show up for rehearsal for the musical of Cyrano, and he had been fired. Mm. It was like watching the Pharaoh or the Sun God fall from the sky, and in his place came Michael Kidd. The choreographer oh. of Seven Brides, and all of a sudden, if you could sing and dance, you kept your job. Hmm. And the and the and the rain started to fall on some of the company, and many people were let go. One wow. day in rehearsal, he said, "Can anybody do a cartwheel?" I said, "I can do a cartwheel, sir. I can do a <laughs> cartwheel." And he said, "All right, Tova, I need you to cartwheel three times from stage right to stage left during the final number of Act One, Scene One." And I did it. And I kept my job. And uh, the play, the musical went with Michael Kidd from the Guthrie to the Royal Alex in Toronto, to the Colonial in Boston, into the Palace Theater. We started previews in April and we opened Saturday. We opened, I don't know if it was Saturday, we opened May 13th, 1973. And Chris Plummer would get and win the Tony for Best Actor in a Musical. Wow. That is a, that's a great story. It was great. So I figured um, I was trying to be get, you know, kept taking dancing lessons like crazy at Barnworth Hower School of Dance. It was uh, in the 50s near the Ed Sullivan Theater. I remember I was in dance class or I was in acrobatic class. I took acrobatics, tap and ballet. And I was in acrobatic class with Lola Wasserstein. And Lola Wasserstein had a child at Yale. I said, how are you? She says, well, I'm not so good. You know, she's from Vienna. I'm not so good because my daughter. She's at Yale. She has no husband, nothing. She writes plays. Her <gasps> name is Wendy. Wendy Wasserstein. She writes <gasps> plays. So I became friendly with Lola. And then, of course, I met her daughter, Wendy. So we were all, I was in, you know, the uh, my own acting academy when I first came to New York in 1973. I used my salary and paid for voice lessons, tap mm. lessons, ballet lessons, acrobatic lessons, and, and uh, acquainted myself with the Alexander Technique. And I yes. figured I, I, I would, I needed, I would came in really in the chorus with a small speaking role. The role, un, uh, fortunately, had the first line of the play. So in my oh. debut, I started the play. Wow. Orange, I remember it was oranges, pomegranates, lemonade. She comes out as a food seller and tries to sell her food before the <laughs> performance of Montfleury. I became friendly with Chris Plummer who mm. became a lifelong friend. He was a pianist. I was a pianist. I started to audition. And I immediately, it's the Chinese proverb, change your place, change your luck. I immediately got parts. I got the title role in Brainchild by Michelle Legrand and Hal David, produced by the notorious Adela Holter, who actually was very good to her her actors. We all got paid, but apparently she was involved in some kind of Ponzi scheme and eventually went to prison for a brief time. Wild. Uh, that show closed out 
uh, I think it goes to the Forest Theater in Philadelphia. But I then, you know, established a lifelong alliance with Michelle Legrand and Hal David. And um, that didn't come in. And then I was immediately offered by David Merrick the standby for Mabel in Mac and Mabel. And I turned it down. Wow. He said, he said, Miss Felcher, you're out of your mind. I'm not even saying you have to be in the theater as an understudy. You can call in from 160 West 71st Street where you're, le- where you're living and see if you have to go on that night. And we will tell you, you'd be a standby. I said, Mr. Merrick, I stood by and understudied for two years at the Guthrie. I never went on. It is a, uh, the understudies are the heroes of our business. They are under-rehearsed. And they are uh, over expect. They have over expectations placed upon them. And I said, I will never, and I never have. I will never put myself in that position again. And I never have. It's funny. It's funny the power of vision, Carrie, the power of living your life in certain areas in the future. It it hasn't happened that often for me. But now I cultivate. Now I am committed to living till one hundred and four. Huh? I'm com- I'm committed to playing. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg after Funny Girl finishes. I mean, this is a vision. This is, yes. this is not this is not yet fully formed in the material universe. But I had the yes. honor of doing a two hander and playing her just before the pandemic and getting to meet her and getting to know her. Wow. So in all events, I'm, I'm, I'm chattering on. I immediately. So you, instead, you kind of use visualization, almost manifestation to kind of figure out the life that you want to live. Well, the first life I wanted to live was to be a leading lady in repertory. So I went from brainchild, maybe brainchild was my first break in 1974. Yes. So in 1973, when Cyrano closed, I was then offered the leads, the ingenue leads at the Cleveland Playhouse. I remember to do Death of a Poet and one other thing. And at Stage West in Springfield to do The Drunkard and then to be opposite Armand DeSante in the Cherry Orchard Play Arena. And I said, oh, I'm going to go to Cleveland Playhouse. It's a longer offer. And my agent said, you're not going to Cleveland Playhouse. You're going to Stage West in Springfield. And in your broken de- and in your Toyota that your father gave you when you graduated from college, you're going to commute into New York every Sunday night for Monday auditions. And that's how I got uh, the Mac and Mabel standby, which I mm-hmm. did not take. And I said, Mr. Merrick, if you ever have a part for me, the answer is yes. And that came oh. very shortly afterwards. There was a, a piece called Dreyfus in Rehearsal. I was to play Lucy Dreyfus, which is very, very much of the moment if you have seen Parade and what happened to mm-hmm. Leo Frank. So again, mm-hmm. Alfred Dreyfus was um, uh, unjustly accused of a crime he never committed and exiled to Devil's Island because he was a Jew and because of anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, everybody should see Parade. It is epic. Mm-hmm. It's astounding. It's important. And if you want to understand the heart of prejudice, uh, to be honest with you, as a Caucasian, get into that theater. And the empathy, the visceral empathy it gives you for the black experience is also unbelievable. It's unbelievable Mm. because if this is Mm. what happens to a Jew, I can't imagine what it was like in Georgia at that time for people Mm -hmm. of color. Anyway, uh, the Merrick offer came. Uh, Garson Kanan directed. He would later be the witness at Andy's and my wedding. Ruth Gordon was one of the stars. She was a matron of honor at our wedding. And the play closed in two weeks at the Ethel Barrymore Theater. But before the show closed, two scripts were arrived at the Ethel Barrymore. 
One was Where's Charlie, opposite Ralph Julia for 500 a week at Circle and Square, a Broadway musical. I would play Amy, you know? Once yeah, I know in that love show. with Amy. Mm-hmm. Right. And the other was Yentl, the Yeshiva Boy, to open at the Brooklyn Academy of Music for $132 a week under the banner of the Chelsea Theater Company, Robert Calvin directing. And I said, well, there's no question we're going to do Where's Charlie and we're going to play Amy and and it's not an ethnic role, and I have to, you know, be careful that everybody knows I'm a classical actress. So we accepted uh, Where's Charlie? And I made the 104 bus from 71st Street and Broadway, where I live, back to Star Castleton's office at 119 West 57th Street. And I read Yentl the Yeshiva Boy by Isaac Singer, um, adapted by Leon Appleton. I got to his office and I said, is this part gone? Could I please audition for it? What do we do about Ted Mann? And circle in the square, he said, Tova, just get on the subway, go out to Brooklyn and audition. This is the title role. This would be your play. And it's a new play. You never know what can happen to a new play. And I got Yentl. And we called Ted Mann. And he said, how dare you? And <sighs> uh, he didn't hire me for another decade. And then he hired wow. me. I, try, I said I was sorry 12 times. You know, we had only accepted the part for 48 hours. But I was cast late, I guess, because he was starting his rehearsals very soon after that. So I got Yentl. It opened way off Broadway in Brooklyn. There were lines around the block and the thing transferred to the theater. And within 18 months of the closing of Syrup, being really a core, a, a, a spear carry at the Guthrie, I was on the marquee. Uh-oh. The Book of Mormon is playing now. I'm, you know, at the O'Neill Theater. In the first two acts of my life, I felt that work and love was all. That was it. As a matter of fact, my identity was very, very much ensconced in my work. And yes. I never courted the crown of fame. I courted excellence, just like you mm. saw as Rosie Bryce. That the carving of Rosie Bryce in my interpretation, and God bless Michael Mayer for giving me the freedom to do it, uh, along with his notes and our wonderful uh, Joanna, his assistant director's notes. And Michael Rafter, our conductor. But along with that, it really was a collaborative process. But that took work. That that part, if you ain't careful, can be beige wallpaper. And, yeah, yeah. And it, uh, it's, I had to seek the humor in it. And I had to infuse the Judaism in it. Whether mm-hmm. it's Jewish, Greek, or Italian, those, those mothers are similar. But she is not mm-hmm. a mother from Greenwich, Connecticut. Right. You know? She is not, uh, you know, a Yankee, as they say. And and uh, that needs differentiation. It needs history. So anyway, I've courted that bar of excellence all my life so that nobody could take from me that I was a good actor. I knew that if I could be establish a level of skill that was hireable and desirable, that that would last me my lifetime. And that, that influenced a lot of decisions. I turned down where, uh, Three's Company. Alan Shane flew in to see me, took me to the Plaza um, Palm Court and said, we want you to do this series called Three's Company. And I basically was offered Joyce DeWitt's role, which was you. Oh, my gosh. I said, I said, I read the script. I said, I can't take it. He said, are you crazy? Sounds like David Merrick. Are you crazy? And I said, I don't know how to act. He said, you just won five awards on Broadway. I said, it's an accident. It's an accident. I've based my whole life on my father. I'm a, a, a practicing heterosexual, but I'm very athletic. I'm a tomboy. I hung upside down on my baby trapeze swing set in Scarsdale so that when Barry 
Weisler asked me to play Berta, the grandmother, in Pippin. And he put me up on a trapeze 30 feet in the air as the audition. He, I said, how do you feel? He said, how do you feel? I said, I feel great. I said, how do you feel? <laughs> Whether he was scared to death. <laughs> I wanted to be a great actor. Mm-hmm. And instead of doing that, I went from Yentl to Stratford. At the Leeds mm-hmm. in Stratford in, um, in the Crucible and in uh, opposite Eileen Atkins. And as you like, if you can imagine, Dame Eileen mm-hmm. Atkins. Um, and then I went on to do Catherine Hepburn on television, the Holocaust miniseries. And most importantly, to be with Jack O'Brien at the Globe Theater and do five plays for him, which was Juliet in Romeo and Juliet, Isabella in Measure for Measure. Marjorie Pinchwife, the new title role in The Country Wife, my first one woman show called Tova, Tova, a Rush Hour Review, which I did six to seven before, and Two Gentlemen of Verona, uh, which wow. I had a small part. But it was under his baton. Mm. And by the time he finished with me, and I finished with my coach, Diana Maddox, with these classics and having the leads in these classics, I knew what I was doing, or I perceived that I knew what I was doing. So I came from a different ground of being. And as we say, as my mother's generation would say, nobody could call me Pisher, which means a person who may, you know, who can't get to the ladies' room on time. So nobody <laughs> can call me somebody who's incompetent. Or a Pisher is also referring to as a little baby, a baby, a person who is, yeah. you know, when I was at college, Andy Warhol was just emerging, talking about 15 minutes of fame. I said, the guy's nuts guy is nuts. The guy was a genius. Who knew that the Kardashians and reality TV would come up to such a strong degree and that stories would be so engaging that actors would start to lose jobs. Before there was before there was all this cable stuff and the vacuum of of television increased in size, we were uh, losing real estate to uh, reality shows. So he was he was right that to be notorious is also to be famous, but not necessarily, not always for skill. Yeah. When you, you had such a short, when you're going into a show, you have such a short preparation. So what are the first things you do? Like when you're going into a show like Funny Girl to prepare? I had 18 days. Of, oh my of gosh. Of, so what do you do? I worked on what was comfortable, what keys were comfortable for me. And mm-hmm. I defended those keys. I said, I'm not adjusting to mm-hmm. anybody else's keys. I've got to do these eight times a week. At that time, I didn't have a full year contract, but they convinced all of us to extend. So Lee and I will be in the show an entire year before we close on September 3rd. I worked musically on it. I also did research on Rosia Bronick, that's her real name, and what the real story was. I, of course, I, I think, I'm not sure that I even saw the movie. I didn't see the movie again. I didn't want to imbibe K-Method. Yeah. But I did see Beanie and Jane do the mm-hmm. piece. And I did see Julie Banco and the great Liz McCartney, who is the understudy for Strakosh, Meeker, and Rosie Bryce. She's, she's mm-hmm. amazing. She's just mm-hmm. amazing. We're so grateful to her. She protects. The, these, are the, these are the heroes, the swings yeah. and the standbys who protect the show. Oh, my God. Because nothing stops the machine of a big Broadway hit anymore. We yeah. didn't even lose a performance for COVID. They were so careful. They wow. spent a lot of money on testing. So how do I prepare? Well, I certainly worked 12-hour days. Mm-hmm. And I went as deep as I could and memorized as quickly as I could. But my memory is deep, 
profound, but it's slower than it used to be. So I need extra time. I know that. So I would arrive at rehearsal with my assistant an hour or two early and drill, drill, drill. I over-prepared to go with the flow. Mm, over-prepared yes. to go with the flow. And in terms of acting, even with Golda's Balcony, when I played Prime Minister Golda Meir, which became the longest-running one-woman play and still stands as the longest-running one-woman play in Broadway history, the actor has to know everything so the character can know nothing. So the character walks on fresh every day Mm. and makes it up as if they wrote it, not as if it was written by somebody else. The other thing that turns me on, and I say every night, to my wonderful person who played Ziegfeld, Peter Francis James, and now the adorable and amazing Paolo Montalban. I say, this is somebody's first Broadway show, and this Mm. is somebody's last Broadway show. Knock it Mm. out of the park. Because the one thing that changes from moment to moment or from day to day is that audience. And you never know what kind of a turning point you're creating in your life or in their life. You you don't know. You don't know if you're filling a memory bank. So Caldwell saw me as Golda and she came backstage and she said, I I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And when I see like Ben Platt do Evan Hansen or do um, the parade, I I can't believe what I'm seeing. It's it's Mm. like magic when you watch the younger, the young actor do a genius role. Well, Jared Grimes and Funny Girl is unbelievable. He plays Eddie Ryan and he's a tap dancer of mastery, just tremendous. And my and my dearest, my dearest friend of the company, great ally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I prepared diligently. I never stopped working. Um, we didn't know what we had, like anything. We did the Holocaust miniseries. We had no idea that it would shake the earth and change the textbooks in Germany. It would be a huge hit. We didn't know. Same, mm-hmm. Lee and I didn't know if we were going to be well-received. We had no idea. Yeah. We just did our best, did our best, did our best. And we we're very lucky. Because mm-hmm. uh, Leah is not just famous; she is something else. She's brilliant. She's a force of yeah. nature, and her that's stand- her part. Yeah, that's her part. She's yeah, phenom- She's phenomenal. She's just she phenomenal. really is. Yeah, and her standby on Thursday nights ain't chopped liver either. Julie Banco mm-hmm. is uh-huh. an unbelievable artist and actress, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. this is I regard this as her launch as well. So uh-huh. I've been blessed, and and uh, I never expected to be doing a full out musical at this moment in my career, but I'm thrilled. And it's, you know, you can eat whatever you want. You're on the American musical theater diet. Um, <laughs> I I bike to the theater and bike home with Jared. Wow. So I ride my bicycle as much as I can. Sometimes I use the car and driver, but I try to bike just to stay strong. And mm-hmm. then the big challenge, Karen, as you know, having done Broadway run, is not just the debut, it's the maintenance. Yes. It's the maintenance, the staying well, the non-injury, the PT, mm-hmm. the acupuncture, the, you know, whatever it takes to, yes. you think you can do your life and the show and you learn very quickly, you can do your life or the show. So Monday becomes this huge, yep. very compact, cha- you know, um, catch up day. But look, you know how many, you know, what percentage of equity is on Broadway across the United States? 1%, 1% of us make it, it to the Broadway stage. One percent of all actors make it. So, is it a blessing? It's a huge blessing, huge blessing. And yes. the level of skill in Funny Girl is not to be believed. 
except when you go down the street and you see six and you see parade and you see these other incredible, credible hit and the level of skill is crazy. It's just crazy. Great. Yeah. You've had such a long career. There must've been moments where did you, were there any moments where you like doubted yourself or like, am I ever going to work again? Or like gone through a dry spell? And how did you get through that? It was tough. I um, was on a trajectory. And again, from my own bourgeois values, I can look back on this now and realize what was going on. When I married Andy, who was a Harvard lawyer, after all, like my father, I remember the day of my marriage, March 20th, 1977, my mother said, Tova, darling, you can do whatever you want now. And I thought she meant, no, I had just come off of Yentl. I was starring in, about to star in Three Sisters with Ellen Burstyn and Rosemary Harris with Margaret Hamilton. That's the Wicked Witch of the West in, in, uh, right, exactly. In Wizard of Oz, she played Anfisa, our nanny. I mean, we had a a Barnard Hughes, Denham Denham Elliott, extraordinary people in that cast. In all events, um, I thought she was going to say you could do film, television. She said, you could do whatever you want. Now you're marrying a Harvard lawyer. So I did Three Sisters. I went, I went, uh, I kept working on my honeymoon. I was offered a movie. I kept going. But slowly, I, I started to begin to unspiral my career. I didn't know I was Really? Doing. I didn't know that. Well, I wanted to be a good wife. And Andy wanted to live in California. He had grown up in Washington, D.C. And I said, well, you know, I just start on Broadway. And then I did Peter Pan uh, for the producers of Yentl. And we played opposite George Rose in Boston, Philly, and the Municipal Opera House in St. Louis to 11,000 people a night. Okay, let's go to Hollywood. And now we're going to conquer Hollywood. I did three movies in a row that did not make money, and I couldn't get work. Wow. So those years, we spent four or five years in L.A. I did another part of The Forest, which is the prequel to Little Foxes, and met Lillian Hellman, who said mm. to me, I hope you're as good as Trisha Neal, <laughs> oh. who established <laughs> the role. Um, mm. I uh, did some fabulous work with Jack O'Brien. Uh-huh. That I accomplished. I kept I kept going on my excellence crusade, my excellence mm-hmm. vision. But like you pointed out, Carrie, very uh, brilliantly, that was part of my vision and future vision. Now, there's a difference between a wish and a I mean, mm-hmm. I actually am committed to living till 104. I'm not right. kidding you. I, I believe about, you. I, I do that. I think about it every day and I do what's necessary to maintain my my health. And to mm-hmm. kick my leg up to my, I kick my leg up to my forehead every night, eight times a week. And that wow. takes work. That means that before the five minute call for act two, I'm already on the stage doing huge uh, leg stretches using the back of a, one of the props on the back of a couch, you know, and putting my mm-hmm. head on my ankle over and over again, first gently. But it's a whole process that I have to do before the lights go down. Now, it only takes me five or six minutes, but they're, Every day in, day out, day in, mm-hmm. day out. I do 54 uh, push-ups with the chorus boys, day in, day out. Wow. 30 sit-ups, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> so in, in all of it, and this Good has for to do you. with vision or saying to yourself, my body is a vessel of radiant health, whatever affirmation. You, I think every yes. person should, should have an affirmatory. Huge, mm-hmm. you know. I am loved, I am lovable, I am loving. Whatever you want to put in your head. So instead of putting in, I don't like this person, 
that person doesn't do what I like. We're not of the same. Instead of putting that in your head, you put in the best in me loves the best in you. And those who are more religious, the divine in me loves the divine, divine in you. That you have the best, best of you functioning so that you uh, don't suffer depression or don't suffer um, um, anger, except when chosen on stage, I suppose. Right, right. Uh, particularly, particularly at this age, you don't want to unnecessarily stress yourself. And basically, Carrie, I believe you wake up in the morning, you make it up, and you go to sleep at night, hopefully 90 or 100 years later. And we really <laughs> do, we think that we are our minds. We actually have choices. We have choices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I have trouble sitting, standing up straight because the bottom of my back hurts at this point. So I'm laying on, I have a massage table and I, I'm laying on the massage table upside down with my head in the cradle, you know, mm-hmm. and I noticed if I fall asleep on the massage table, when I get off the massage table, my back is completely straight, straight. It's like straight, doesn't hurt, nothing. I said, mm-hmm. oh my God, are you telling me that this posture of me hunching over is actually a choice because I don't experience it that way. But mm-hmm. even that's, even that's a choice. So we have a great deal of power um, as to what we put in our brains to accomplish what we need. If mm-hmm. life is not merely reality, but if life is in fact a dream, a dream that we make up every day, then man, the sky's, the limit. And then as an actor at eight o'clock or seven o'clock, you get to take on somebody else's dream. I mean, yeah. Rosie, Rosie Bryce's dream is to preserve and protect her young. Mm-hmm. She is in the corner. Fanny Bryce, she is in the corner and, and, uh, uh, balanced by certain bourgeois values of the time. Sadie, Sadie married lady. What a relief that is. All right. So she married a guy who might be a little, you know, a gambler. <laughs> A compulsive gambler. I don't know that she knew that he was a crook or an embezzler, but she knew he was a compulsive gambler, that that's what he did for a living. Uh, but that she was married and he was gorgeous and yeah. she was in love and she would have children. That was the most important value in certain ways. Yeah. So um, I have one more question for you. Um, if you would give advice to your younger self, what would you say? If I would give advice to my younger self, I would say to my younger self, I wish you had the wisdom to now, in your 20s, adopt empathy and community as your first values. Mm. You know, uh, um, I thought it was Mendelssohn. We couldn't find the quote attributed to him, but basically the quote is, I feel that love and work are the most important aspects in life and when you near the third act of your life love is everything everything because from love everything comes from affiliation empathy and when you meet somebody that doesn't gel with you try this one like this person i have a son like this person i too have stress like this person we're from the same religious background. Like this person, we both have husbands. So that you affiliate through will, if not through heart. And then, uh, you know, 
that's what I would advise. I didn't learn to lead a company till I was in Saravah, which isn't bad. I, I was not the leader of the company for Cyrano, uh, Dreyfus in Rehearsal, Rogers and Hart, Yentl. I had to learn how to do it. I didn't do it pretty well, very well. But by Saravah, uh, I would just had gotten married. I was a very good leader of the company. I would, you know, buy the barbecue chicken and have everybody to the apartment and host mm. them. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you have the biggest part and you yes. have the final bow, that's the time to spread your wings for empathy and inclusion. Yes. Don't be don't be jerky. The elevator. Use your power man, for good. Yeah. Use your power for good. The elevator man and the, I remember when I left Pip and I gave a party and I was just a supporting player, but I, it was a great role. I gave a party in the lower lobby and the Weisler's as long as I was filming you know, that bill that gave me the coffee. <laughs> and of course I invited the crew. I invited everybody downstairs and not just our crew, but the union men who worked at that theater, which was a music box. And they couldn't get over it. It, it was it was so obvious to me that anybody in the building should be included. Uh, mm-hmm. Anybody. Um, so that's what I would tell my younger self that to, if you have the privilege of having some big part and to head a company, whatever you can do for the other guys is wonderful. And frankly, it's smart. It's, it's smart because it keeps yeah. Shalom yeah. Babaya, it keeps peace in the household. And, you know, the fish, Yes. this fish comes down from the head of the fish. The Guthrie mm. was naughty and clever because Michael Langham was naughty and clever. But Michael Langham mm. had also been in a prisoner of war camp. So he was naughty and clever and damaged. And maybe we're all damaged, but his damaging mm. affected a lot of actors in the company. Mm. He, mm. Was a, he was a bully and it was tough. It was really oh. tough. Yeah. He would yeah. humiliate people yeah. in public and it was... It was not kind. It was not. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there are true. many when people you have that a are great, kind. You know, yes, Jerry when you have Zach's, a great story, it affects everybody. Yeah. yeah Jerry um, Zachs, Jack O'Brien, Michael Mayer. These oh, are yes. men with great hearts. And then yeah. uh, uh, actors. Of, you know, my brother was headed, head of the theater at Cornell. You could see I worship my brother. And ah. he would always take his children near the actors. He loved actors. He said the actors mm-hmm. get a bum rap. They're the most empathic people I know. So if you're mm-hmm. playing other people well and you have to have empathy for your character, have empathy for your fellow actor. Yes. Look him in the eyes, connect with him. The audience is not going to leave you. The audience is going to step into your relationship. Mm-hmm. Watch Michaela Diamond and Ben Platt in Parade. They're absolutely glued on each other. And though I'm unable to watch it, I have no doubt that Ramin Karamalu and, and Leah Michelle are glued to each other. People step into the relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you don't, yeah. you don't have to, you don't have to play it, play the house unless otherwise advised. You play yes. the text and the other people with you and the house will get it. We'll get it. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Tova. Thank you so much for uh, being here with us and sharing those amazing stories with us and great advice. <laughs> My, my pleasure. Keep envisioning your own life, Carrie, and may you go from strength to strength. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you would like me to come to your school or theater group and give a masterclass or a talk back, please reach out at carriebutlercoach.com. If you like this podcast and want more episodes, please go to bpn.fm slash Breaking Broadway and subscribe, like, or share. Together you and I are Breaking Broadway. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.